Good morning. This morning we'll be in Genesis chapter 46, part of chapter 47. Talking about the providential care of God for Jacob and for his family. I want to point out that last week we learned that chapter 46 is not possible unless Joseph extends mercy and forgiveness to his family. The rest of this chapter and the promises and even the uh, prediction, the prophecy for the Messiah, cannot be possible unless Joseph himself is a forgiving and merciful brother. He had his brothers in his power. He could have done to them as he pleased, but because he offered forgiveness to them, he saved their lives in more ways than one. Not only did he have the power to take their life, but even moving them to Goshen from where they live and providing a place for them keeps them from starving to death there in Canaan because we know that even though two years of famine have passed, there's still five more to come. It's going to be a terrible time for the land of Egypt and for the land of Canaan. Instead of being trapped by the sins of the past that were committed against him, he chose to think about the promises that were given to him in the future. He saw the providence and care that God had shown to him during his years of struggle instead of focusing on the fact that others were to blame for his circumstance. Despite all that happened to him, Joseph continued to have faith in God and to believe that reconciliation is possible through the grace of God. And today we'll see that God's continuing care, not only of Joseph, extends to the whole house of Israel, or else we wouldn't have much of the Bible left after this chapter. So let me begin reading here in uh, chapter 46. I'm going to skip the genealogy. Uh, you can read that for your homework. I thought I would spare you that this morning. Um, here we go. Genesis 46.1. Israel set out with all he had, and he came to Beersheba. And he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And that night God spoke to Israel in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he said. And Jacob replied, here I am. God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you back. Joseph will close your eyes when you die. Jacob left Beersheba. The sons of Israel took their father Jacob in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him, along with their dependents and their wives. They also took their cattle and possessions they had acquired in the land of Canaan. Then Jacob and all his offspring with him came to Egypt, his sons, his grandsons, his daughters, his granddaughters, indeed all his offspring he brought with him to Egypt. Now I'll pick back up in verse 28. Now Joseph had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to prepare for his arrival at Goshen. When they came to the land of Goshen, Joseph hitched the horses to his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. Joseph presented himself to him, threw his arms around him and wept for a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm ready to die now because I have seen your face and you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's family, I will go up and inform Pharaoh, telling him, My brothers and my father's family who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They also raise livestock. They have brought their flocks and herds and all that they have. When, a Pharaoh, when Pharaoh addresses you and asks, What is your occupation? You are to say, your servants, both we and our fathers, have raised livestock from our youth until now. Then you will be allowed to settle in the land of Goshen, 
since all shepherds are detestable to Egyptians. The first thing I want to talk about is the, under the providential care of God that we see in this chapter is that when Jacob leaves the prom, promised land, the land of Canaan, which was given to Abraham, his father, and those after him, he leaves the pro, promised land under God's care. And leaving the promised land is a big deal to Jacob, and it should be, because whenever Abraham or Isaac, his forefathers, had left the land of promise, bad things happened. Uh, they wound up giving their wives away or almost going into captivity. It was bad. God had told them, this is your land, the land of Canaan. And he was probably reluctant to leave it. I've never met an old man yet who is excited about leaving his home. But Jacob had to because the famine was so bad. And he stops in Beersheba on his travels. And the reason he stops there in Beersheba, that was the home of his father Isaac. And Jacob had made sacrifices there to the Lord before. And so he seeks the Lord's face before he goes into Egypt to make sure that this is the will of God for him. And God comes to him and reminds him again of promises that he had made to Abraham so long ago. God says to Jacob the same thing which he said to Abraham, the same thing which he said to Isaac, the same thing now he is saying to Jacob once again. I will make you a great nation. God never falters on his promise to Jacob. And we know from the life of Jacob and the other patriarchs, these are not perfect men, far from it. They are sinful people. But God, in his providential care, continued to care for Jacob not only from the day that he first left his house when he fled from the face of his brother Esau, but even until this day, God has been with him. The Lord assures that Joseph will close his eyes. He will never again grieve the death of Joseph. He will not have to see that again. So Abraham's family has now become, as you can read there in uh, verse 27, 70 people. 70 people will come down into Egypt. And by the end of Exodus, 600,000 will come out. Think about that. God's prom promise to them is faithful and true. So what do you make this morning? Let me think about this, because this may seem to you irrelevant. What do you make of this promise to Jacob that God will bless him and multiply his people and that he will surely go down with him to Egypt and he will bring him out again? What does that have to do with your life? Does it seem like a far off and distant promise to you? Maybe not connected at all to your everyday life or inconsequential to your life? What difference does it make in your life that God promised that he would be with Jacob? Maybe you feel that God was with Jacob. Certainly, he liked Jacob. He stayed with Jacob, just like he did Abraham and Isaac. But maybe you don't feel that you have the kind of relationship to God that Jacob had. God has not come to you and spoken to you in the visions of the night or promised you a bunch of descendants or promised to make you a great nation. Maybe it might be this morning that you feel maybe God doesn't care for you at all or loves you the same way he did Jacob. And so I wonder if that's where you are this morning. Because what I want to point out to you is this is not just some dusty piece of history. This is given to us for our faith. And what God has spoken here to Jacob, he would speak to us. We don't have the exact promises that Jacob has, but we have promises as good and better than was ever given to Jacob. 
I am reminded of a few things I want to point out to you. You may think that Jacob had this special connection with God that you don't have, but I want to point out to you that it was many, many, many years that Jacob lived where he never heard a single word from God. And in those intervening years, he lost his wife, he lost Joseph, he thought, grieved his disappearance for years, thought he was dead. His brothers quarreled, I mean, his sons quarreled. He did not have an easy time. In fact, in, verse four, in chapter 47, when he comes to Pharaoh, he's going to say, my life has been 130 years and my days have been few, short, and sorrowful. He did not have an easy time. His life was not easy. And I am 100% certain that every day Jacob woke up, he did not feel like God's special chosen person. Many days he lived in grief. So there's one thing we need to remember about Jacob. And second, you see here that God is speaking to him directly in this passage. You may think God does not speak to me directly as Jacob did. When is the last time you felt close to God? Where you felt his presence and his power in your life? Maybe you feel that God doesn't speak to you as he does to Jacob, but you actually have a word made more certain than Jacob ever had. In the book of Hebrews, it says, In the past, God used to speak to his people in many different ways, but today he is speaking to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jacob did not have the book of Genesis. He did not have the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He had none of the Bible, none of it. He could not, when he felt bad, open up the Psalms and begin to read them. He could not meditate on the book of Galatians. He did not even know the time or place when the Son of God would come. Jacob heard from the Lord precious few times in his life, and it was enough to sustain him. But every single day, you as his blessed children can open his word and read, and he will speak to you. How long has it been since you felt close to God? And we're quick to say, pastors especially, that our relationship to God is not all about feeling, right? It's not all about feeling. Well, neither are marriages. They're not all about feeling either. They're about promises. But if you never have feeling at all, you might have a miserable marriage. Every once in a while, we want to feel God is close, to know that he loves us, that he cares for us, and that when we go down into Egypt, he will go with us, and he will bring us back to him. We still need to know from time to time that God is close and that he cares. So listen to me. You are children of the new covenant. Children of the new covenant. Such promises that Jacob could not have dreamed. And God's love for you, dear brother and sister, is as steady and sure as his love was for Jacob. Jacob is no more special in his sight than you. You are his beloved sons and daughters. And wherever you go, he will go with you to the end of the age. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself said, I am the good shepherd. He never stopped being a shepherd. His poor father Jacob was a shepherd and so is he. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. He knows you. He says this, I am the good shepherd and I know my own. He knows you this morning. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. 
children of the new covenant, the Lord Jesus says he knows you and that he lays down his life for you. There is no better promise or word I can give you this morning. He is close and he's there. He's laid down his life for you. John 10, 14 through 15. You are exalted sons of daughter and daughters of the king of glory. You will sit and eat at Jacob's table as full heirs of all the promises of God. You will inherit all that our forefather Jacob inherits. You are precious in his sight, as was his servant Jacob. And just as the Lord God promised he would go with Jacob down into the land of Egypt, it is certain that he will also bring him out of the land of Egypt, so he will go with you. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, after he had been crucified, after he preached with his, to his disciples for many days, before he ascended into heaven, he said, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, like Jacob, you may not feel it. It may be hard to believe, but the Lord will never abandon you. He will always be near. And on the day when you finally reach the gates of splendor, you will know that God has been with you and faithful all the days of your life, even when you were not faithful to him. Such is the testimony of Jacob, and such will be the testimony of all the saints of God, for we are all precious in his sight. So don't despair this morning, Christian. You don't feel close to God. Maybe you have not been pursuing God. Perhaps you've forgotten. And in your busyness of life, you have failed to draw near to him. But there is this blessed promise in his word that is true for every son and daughter. Draw near to the Lord, and he will draw near to you. It's a promise. It's a certainty. God never abandoned Jacob, and he will never abandon you. That's why this is not dusty history. These things were given to us that we might know that we have a God who never leaves. And God keeps his people separate and cares for them. When they go into the land of Egypt, there's a danger. There's only 70 of them. That's not very many people. They're going into a strange land to live amongst a strange people who have different customs, different cultures, and they don't know God the way that Jacob and his children know God. And so God, in his providence, arranges for them to go to the land of Goshen, to the delta of the Nile River on the east side, away from the Egyptians. Why? Because God wants them to continue to be a separate people. He wants to grow them into their own separate nation. There was the danger that Israel would be absorbed into the culture of Egypt, and then they wouldn't be who God had called them to be. So he puts them in the land of Goshen to keep them from becoming Egyptians so they will continue to be Israel. This is going to be difficult because God has already told Abraham that his children would go into the land of Egypt and be in captivity for 400 years. And we can see how it begins to turn in this direction because shepherds are detestable in the sight of the Egyptians and the Hebrew people are few. And eventually their salvation will turn to oppression there in the land of Egypt. But their oppression will lead them to build community, to know that they are separate people. 
cared for by God. As I said, in the next few hundred years, 70 people will become over 600,000, a million maybe. They will suffer, but they will become a nation. Now, why is it important for us to know that God keeps them separate down in the land of Goshen and he doesn't want them to become Egyptians? Because in a larger way, under the new covenant, God intends to keep you separate also. You will be kept in the world, but you must not become of the world. We are a separate people and holy. Brothers and sisters, we are the children of God and we have a hope within us that will bring offense to the nations. It will be a, bring offense to those who do not love God. And though the gospel itself is an offense, we should not ourselves seek to be offensive. We are gentle and kind and patient and long-suffering. We do not hurt for the sake of hurting, but we tell the truth for the sake of saving. The scriptures must always and ever be our guide to what is right and what is wrong. And if we continue to do what pleases God, we cannot please the world. The world is on shifting sand, brothers and sisters. It will change in the blink of an eye. What they say is right and what they say is wrong will change just like that. You cannot trust either side, right nor left. You cannot trust the world, period. The only thing we can trust is the Word of God. We must be held accountable to it. And when we do live as the Word of God teaches, we too will suffer rejection just as the children of Israel and Egypt will suffer, so must we suffer as well. I was reading just this week that one of the churches there in China, all their congregation was scattered, their pastor was arrested, many of their congregants were arrested as well. And I just read uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday evening, I believe it was, that one of their, I believe he was a deacon maybe, might have been just a regular church member, they put him in something called the tiger chair. You can go read that for yourself. Basically, they tortured him and left him in that chair for 48 hours just because he confessed Christ as the only hope for the nations. Didn't do anything wrong. In fact, their pastor wrote a lovely letter about how they would support their government, pray for their government, even when it did wrong, but they would never cease to deny Christ. Such will be your testimony if you refuse to conform to the world. It is ever and always going to be an attraction for us to get along if we can. And we'll be, we'll be tempted to pick sides, right or left. And listen to me, you can't do that. There's a, great, there's a great example of this in the Bible. I love this. Remember when in Joshua is coming to Jericho? They're coming into the promised land that God has given them, and they're going to conquer that place. They are God's chosen people, delivered from Egypt, coming into the land of Canaan, and their first obstacle there is Jericho with its high walls. You remember they're met there by the angel of the Lord, angel from God. And Joshua approaches the angel and says, whose side are you on, our side or theirs? You know what the angel said? I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. I'm on the side of the Lord of hosts. You better be on my side. He didn't say that at the end, but that was the implication. We can't start thinking that because we are the children of God that somehow that God always sides with us no matter what we do. 
God is on his side. And that's the side we need to be on. Because we are all subject to error. People will do things for power. People will do things to assuage their guilty consciences. People will do things to make themselves feel righteous. We were just studying this morning in my Sunday school class with, the, with our uh, children, fifth and fourth, fifth and sixth graders. And Jesus was talking to them about being the bread of life. And the people asked him, what great works of God must we do? Is this what everybody's trying to do? Justify themselves from before God? What great works of God must we do? You know what Jesus said? This is the great work of God. Here it is. Believe on the one whom the Father has sent. That's the great work of God. And if you teach that as the work of God, you're going to be separate from the world. If you hang your life on what is written in this word, you will remain separate from the world. A holy, beautiful people is the treasure of God's heart. Like Israel, we must be a separate people and God will care for us. Mankind is a vapor, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. Don't distrust it. Don't let them trick you. Don't let the world lead you astray. You are a separate people who are a people of the word of God. Hold fast to it. You might be out of step with culture, but you will be on the side of the Lord. And then in chapter 47, we see here that Pharaoh receives Jacob. He receives Joseph and five of his brothers, and they, he asks them, what do you do for a living? They say, we're shepherds. And Pharaoh looks at Jacob and says, how old are you? <laughs> it's a good question. Because Jacob looks at him and says, I'm 130 years old. Now, how many 130-year-olds have you ever met in your life? This was a shock to Pharaoh. And Jacob rushes to assure him. He says, I'm 130 years old, but my days have not reached, my pilgrimage has, my pilgrimage has not reached the days of my forefathers. My days have been few, short, and hard. And then the Bible says something interesting. This is the people about to go into captivity for 400 years. It says, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. It's interesting that it says that Jacob blesses Pharaoh because this is a people that's fixed to be enslaved by Pharaoh's house, isn't it? This is a people that's about to suffer under the lash of Egypt's whip for 400 years. And it says here, Jacob blessed. Why is that in the Bible? What does that say to us? Jacob blessed Pharaoh. We know where this is going. We've known where this is going since God appeared, appeared to uh, Abraham many chapters ago and told him that his children would go into captivity in the land of Egypt. We know what's coming. Jacob knows what's coming. And he blesses Pharaoh. We should be a blessing wherever we go and no matter what. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego standing before the fiery furnace into which they are about to be cast said, our Lord is able to deliver us from this furnace. Nevertheless, even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to your idol. 
That's a blessing. That's a blessing to Nebuchadnezzar. It's a blessing to all of Babylon. Because somebody has to tell them that our God is God and he is great. And his beauty and his glory and his truth are worth more than our own lives. That is a blessing. Just as the early Christians stood before Caesar and faced his lies instead of renouncing Christ, they told a great truth to that culture. Our culture thinks that our individuality, our expression of ourselves, who we think we are is the most important thing in the world, and it's not. The most important thing in the world is who does God say that you are? And if we repent and believe in him, we can be called sons and daughters of God. Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and we are called to be blessings as well. As I said earlier, every old man wants to stay home. He don't want to leave his place. You get old, you think, I want to die in my house. I hope I don't have to go into the nursing home. I hope this doesn't happen. I just want to be in my home, surrounded by my kids, and this is how I want to go. And here it's 130 years old. God tells Jacob, get up and go into Egypt. But here's the promise. Wherever you go into Egypt, I will go with you, and I will bring you out of Egypt. Now, I want to close with that thought. He says, I will go with you down into Egypt and I will bring you out again. Jacob dies in Egypt. How does God bring him out of Egypt if that is the place where Jacob died? Does he mean that Jacob, as the representative of Israel, one day I will bring your people out? Or is this an individual promise to Jacob? I don't see any reason not to see it as a promise to Jacob himself. I will go with you in Egypt and I will bring you out again. Jesus said this. Jesus said, when the Father says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. God did bring Jacob out of Egypt. He brought him home. And not to that physical land of Canaan, but to the place where the saints never die, to heaven. And brother and sister, listen, he will go with you today wherever you go, and he will bring you home again. Again, in John chapter 10, Jesus said, Of all the Father has given to me, I will lose not one. And this is the will of my Father, that I will not lose one, and I will raise them up on the last day. <laughs> he will never leave or forsake you. In one million years, the love of God in Christ will burn as fiercely for you on that day as it does today. He is not like us. He does not change, and he does not lie. He is here for you forever. Now, if you do not know Christ this morning, that is the beautiful joy and hope that we have. This is why Jesus can say to the people on the mountainside, I am the bread of life. Eat from me and you will never go hungry. I am the water of life. He who drinks from me will never thirst. This truth of Jesus, who he is, will satisfy your soul forever. Come to Christ this morning. And if you feel like he is not close to you, take him up on his challenge. Read his word and hear from him every day. Draw near to the Lord. He will draw near to you. It is a promise. Let's pray.
Father, we ask this morning that you will be with us and help us. I know, I know that there are times, Lord, where just as we sang this morning, we are prone to wander, Lord. I can feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. God, be with us this morning and help us, those of us who feel distant and cold. I pray that we will repent and return to you for you've never left us, but it is we who stray from you. I pray you will fill our hearts with the presence of your love that you will know, that we will know as your children that you are our great father and that we are your children. Lord, I pray this morning that if there's someone here who does not know Christ, who does not have the blessed assurance which I talked about today, the sure hope of Jacob, I pray that you will show them irresistibly the beauty of God and Christ. Lord, this morning be with our church, be with our church family, so many who are out of town and be with the Spences who grieve. Lord, we need you every moment. God, help us to be a light to the world and be a blessing to our culture and those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing a song.